We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome to episode 230 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, The Guardian, and FC Barcelona's Matt Center, because though it's yesterday for you listeners, I have the pleasure of talking to the man who knocked it out of the park on FC Barcelona's official Matt Center on YouTube, and then the post-game show on Barca TV. So, Frances... I guess, welcome back to the show, and thank you for gracing us with our presence today. Hola, culés. Yeah, yeah, I think you're exaggerating a little bit. Um, <laughs> it was an experience, you know, um, obviously a couple of weeks back you went in. Um, they didn't seem to have enough of the Barcelona podcast people, so they called me there as well. And uh, it was a lovely experience, you know, it's something that you can say you've done in your lifetime, really. Uh, but it was a pleasure to be there in, you know, the 121st Barca birthday, as it is today. And uh, yeah, hopefully getting some more reach for the podcast. So all is good. Yeah, again, much appreciated, Frances, making his and our presence known on the FC Barcelona Match Center. But today we are back here on the Barcelona podcast, just Frances and I. And usually we don't do match reviews, but obviously Osasuna is so fresh in our mind. And I think some of those ideas do go towards the concept that while Ronald Coleman is refusing to move away from that 4-2-3-1, and he's, again, not really extending the bench too much, it does see a few things a little bit separate because, as you mentioned, I think we both have the same point here, that we're going to start with the different idea that we notice that he's used both in the, we'll say, second-string players matchup against Dinamo Kiev midweek, and then here again, it was Martin Brothwaite starting up top as the number nine, giving a different look to FC Barcelona. And, Frances, before I, I shoot this shoot this back over to you. Some of the questions we were getting even last week before, and we'll talk about Diego Maradona in a second, uh, as far as Messi's tribute and all that. But before 
Barcelona were able to dominate Dinamo Kiev midweek. That was coming off the Atletico Madrid match where questions were being asked that you and I were going to answer last week, some of which include how can Coleman salvage the season? Which Barcelona is the real Barcelona? The one that's in Champions League and the one that's in the Liga? Seemingly two radically different teams. Also getting questions about should he switch to a 4-3-3? Patreon Ion also asking, what if Barcelona don't finish in the top four? So all of those questions were coming in after... Atletico Madrid and that lost 1-0 a week ago. And now it's a dominating win against Dinamo Kiev and another 4-0 dominating win this time against Osasuna in the Liga. And I think a big part of that too, Frances, is that the schedule, looking at the matches that Barca had to play in Sevilla, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Villarreal, those matches are already now, at least for the first half of the season, in the rearview mirror. And now you're looking at Levante, at Osasuna, at Cadiz. And is this the time to be hopeful? Is it? I, I know you've been very negative this year, but I'll give you this big overarching theme of Frances. Have we nudged you a little bit in a positive direction after these two positive results? Okay, I don't know what to say. Now you put a lot of pressure on me. Um, no, I don't think it's the moment to be optimistic. I think it's the moment to be realistic and uh, basically don't allow yourself to get too happy because you've beaten two teams that, with all due respect, they're not great, or being too down in the dumps when you've lost against basically the, the best team in, in Spain at the moment. I think that that's, you know, with Real Sociedad's permission, that's Atletico Madrid. So I think you need to find a balance. Um, you need to say that obviously the, the most important thing in the last couple of games, apart from the goal scored, which obviously matter to me, is the clean sheets. Um, also, you know, with coming off... Losing Gerard Piquet, um, obviously he- heavily criticized player for the last four or five years, but certainly lately, but a, a key player that any Kule would love to have in the team right now. Um, I didn't come on the podcast last week for obvious reasons, but um, you know I do wish Piquet all the best in his recovery. I wish that it is a full recovery and that we can we can get him back because what you get with Piquet is not just is not just the defensive presence; it's what he gives you when you're building from the back. Um, so I know we, we, we do need him, we do need him and we do miss him. But having said that, Mingueza has been pretty good coming back from Barca B and uh, he's just going to prove what I've always said, that I normally seems to happen in moments in need, but any of the youngsters from Barca B, if given the chance and when the time is right, they do perform at the first team level. Obviously, they're not going to be Spanish internationals from the first the first couple of games they play but I think Mingueza has done more than well enough to to be included in the rotation obviously Lane Le pick up picked up a little knock today as well uh, hopefully it's not too bad but with Piquet gone Umtiti nowhere to be seen and you know Lane Le not just there at least for the next I would say probably one or two weeks uh, and that's being optimistic then it's definitely the time for Araujo to get back to shape and come back um, I expect him to play in the next couple of games for sure uh, Mingueza is now a regular starter, uh, and that's how quickly the, the world moves, and that's how quickly football moves, especially at, at Barca level. And then, you know, that, that's all the options we have. I mean, Frankie the Young coming back from the midfield seems to be the most possible solution, and he's probably, you know, he's probably going to get a start in the next couple of games as well at centre-back. But for me, the biggest news, and I know we're going to talk about the, the goals scored up front and the fact that Braithwaite obviously um, is getting is getting started midway through the season by scoring three goals in, in the last two appearances. But I want to start by saying that, you know, you have to build a pyramid from the bases. And I think the fact that we have not conceded in two matches, even though it was just as soon as Kiev, but, you know, regardless, I think it's a big, big positive to celebrate. Yeah, I mean, Osasuna has not really been a layup 
in the league. I, I know the name doesn't inspire many people, but Osasuna have been one of the poor teams in the league this season. They look a team that has been able to stay up in the league for recent seasons, and there's no reason why they wouldn't have been able to do that this year as well. And it's interesting to me, Frances, that, you know, instead of starting to discuss Messi or Griezmann or even Coutinho, I think there's some points to discuss about Pedri and, and Busquets, and we'll get to all of that. But before, I, I think we should again go back to the idea of, of Oscar Mangueza and what has become, obviously, a crisis at the center-back position. And the fact that, for me, I mean, this is me accepting fault. You, Frances, don't have to accept any fault in this because you haven't said any bad thing about Mangueza because you weren't really watching him with the Juvenil A and, Juve, and Barcelona B. But for me, over the last three seasons, it was Chumi and Jorge Cuenca who were, I thought, leagues better. And just they were trusted to be the center-back pairing for Barcelona B. And Mingueta was a backup to them, or he would fill in at right-back as well when Guillaume Jamey was moved back to right-back. And all three of them moved on in the offseason. So Oscar Mingueta was the only one who stuck around with Pimienta at Barca B. And so to see him in this position now, where I really had never seen anything from him that I said, oh, he'll be fine at the, at the first team level. But I think what, and this is almost unfair to the individual player of Mingueta, but even to bring in Casalanya, where on, I watched a little bit of Dinamo Kiev for a second time, and Casalanya arguably was the man of the match in that game. He just controlled mm-hmm. the whole match in a way that he doesn't get the credit for, which is perfect for a La Masia player. And the same thing with Mingueta, where I, I think we are obviously, because he's making his debut, we haven't seen much of him. We're giving a, we're keeping a close eye on Mingueta, but Alanya has been fantastic. And it tells you that La Masia, as I said, and, and it kind of gets to the point that you and I always discuss about with transfer discussions, that Barcelona didn't really have in La Masia or even in Barca B, they didn't have a right back that to, to bring up for Roberto or to eventually be the starter. So they went out and they bought Serginho Des for a position of need. The center back... Even though, I, again, I was, you know, I was cautious of Mingueza, he's winding up being a player to fill that role. Same thing with the midfield position. Barcelona should probably not be buying any midfielders for one or two seasons because they have so many, even in the pipeline for Barca B or Juvenil A, there are so many midfielders, both in a double pivot and at an attacking midfield spot, to fill in when necessary. Same thing on the wing. Conrad de la Fuente, Niels Mortimer, you have players for Barca B and La Masia, as I have Barca B on in the background right now. You have these players who are able to fill in those positions. So you go out and buy the positions of need, like the fact that Barcelona are going to need a striker. That's something that's going to cost money. So Mingueza, and it tells you what La Masia provides you. La Masia, for the positions that they have to give you some feedback, you, as, you, as you said, they don't necessarily need to be the starters, but to fill out your bench and just to trust those players who know the system and understand the system. And that's the important point too, that... For Coleman, playing that 4-2-3-1, it is different than what Pimienta's playing in that 4-3-3. And if you were to put another midfielder in, let's say Alejandro Oriana gets a step up in one of these Copa del Rey games or whatever it may be, the worry is that you're now taking players from the B team who are playing a different style than the first team and throwing them in there. But the whole thing about La Masia players is that they're understanding there is a way to play and they're able to at least give you just enough. And as I said last week, that Mingueza, he doesn't have a high ceiling, there are any any La Masia player who's going to be trusted in this position doesn't really have that low of a floor either, if that makes any sense. They have a high floor, as in you kind of know what you're going to get from them and you hope they don't make any mistakes. They may not blow your socks off, as McGrath, again, he's not going to blow your socks off, but he's going to be good enough. Same thing with Alenia. You trust that even if he's not a, a 10-year starter, he doesn't have to be Iniesta, he doesn't have to be Xavi, but if he can be a bench player and can be the best player on the field in a Champions League match against Dinamo Kiev that helps you keep first place in the group, then he's done his job, and that's exactly what you need from a player like that. 
But with Carlos Alaña, I think the last couple of games, and I know that he didn't play that much um, against Osasuna today, but I think the last couple of ma- matches do show that he's got a place in this team, as you're saying. And obviously one of the direct reads that we can make from the game is that the least centre-backs we have, the more that Frankie, Frankie de Jong is going to have to go into centre-back, uh, either as a starter or as a solution. Therefore, we need another pivot in the middle. Um, I think it was quite interesting that Pjanic didn't really feature against Osasuna. I'm surprised as to why that happened. Uh, maybe fatigue, maybe a tactical decision from Kuman for a reason that I don't quite understand. But, you know, Alanya came on again. Once again, he was good on the ball. Um, he did exactly what he needed to do. He um, distributed the ball with, with a lot of criteria. Ricky Puig still not getting a sniff, which I think is very significant when you've got someone like Junior Firpo, for example, um, getting minutes. And, and you know, you've got Ricky Puig and Mateus Fernandez being the only two, in my understanding, that didn't really make the team uh, that could have done it. So, yeah, I think that Alanya has cemented at least uh, his opportunity to stay in the team beyond the winter transfer window. Um, obviously, it looks like, obviously, Mateus, but Ricky Puig could probably be on his way out as well. Um, but, you know, that is a different story that we talk about it every week. But, you know, the, tr- the point I'm trying to make is that this manager, like him or not, is giving a lot of chances to the youngsters so that in coming years we can actually look back and say, right, you remember that year that Kuman was there, that, you know, the election came and then he brought another manager and Kuman just didn't last too long? Well, that's the year when a lot of um, careers got started and hopefully kick-started for the next five, ten years, as you mentioned. Yeah, let's hit that break and then talk about the double pivot. This episode of the Barcelona Podcast is brought to you by Fanatis. You know, sometimes you're in the middle of something, a family event, a road trip, well, not right now, but a work, doctor's appointment, bathroom break, shopping spree, whatever it may be, while Barcelona is playing in the Liga. We know that for you, like us, football is priority number one, and missing a single minute of Messi and his magic is unforgivable. That's when you can grab your phone, tablet, or even your TV and fire up Fanatis. Fanatis gives you a front row seat to watch the Liga and Messi for just $7.99 a month. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Join at Fanatis.com. But there is down in the description, we have a special link. And hit that link and sign up for Fanatis as those subscription companies are getting more and more and more expensive. And there are add-ons and all those different things. It's just $7.99 a month up front for Fanatis. So again, you can join us. Just hit that link down in the description below. Big help on that. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. As you mentioned, Francis, it was telling that Pedri was playing in that double pivot instead of Coutinho next to De Jong to start this match against Osasuna. And I don't think it's so much an indictment of Pjanic or against Busquets because Busquets is better in that position. I think he is better than Pedri in that position. Pedri's out of position. However, 
you notice that Osasuna, a team that doesn't really have as much counter-attacking acumen as some other speedier teams who like to run through the middle, but Osasuna was cut out because the legs of De Jong and Pedri were uh, in position. And I think that's what you're seeing from Pedri, that he does so many of these little things that should impress you that he may be out of position at times, or we can see that it, just at 18, he winds up fading in and out of matches offensively next to all these other giants. But he's doing all these little things to earn his minutes. And I'm noticing that that conversation is changing a bit from Pedri versus Puj, who should deserve those minutes, to being Coutinho versus Puj, who should be deserving those minutes, basically at that number 10 spot. Because Pedri can play now at that double pivot. He was playing in the double pivot when Puj came on midweek. And on the point of Puj, because they're playing against Ferran Varos midweek, you expect that he's either going to get the start there. I wouldn't be that surprised if he does. He came on off the bench against Dinamo Kiev, where you and I were kind of texting back and forth that, you know, he looked desperate to get on the ball. He's making a few mistakes, but I think he, he warmed up into it. And the same thing would happen. If he was a starter against Ferran Varos, you would expect that, yeah, there might be a little bit of nerves for a player that is really looking for every minute, every opportunity he could possibly receive at the moment. So it's good to see Puj get those opportunities in these midweek matches but it it continues to be that Pedri proves why he's on the field and again it's an it's a question on whether or not moving forward of what you saw in transition Frances would you continue to try to roll out again if Araujo is healthy enough and they go with Araujo and Magueta as a center backs while Lengle is out and De Jong can still play in the the double pivot would you go with De Jong and Pedri in the double pivot again and continue to bring a Pjanic and a Busquets off the back because I did like what I saw in that defense and transition, and then having Busquets come on when Bars had been the superior team to take over for Pedri and to control the rest of that match. And as Busquets usually does, he controls the pace of a game and just sucks the life out of an opponent uh, in that way that Busquets does. And having him as a bench option shows you basically a full 90 minutes of having, of having legs in the beginning and then having Busquets to be able to suffocate an opponent at the end. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm on the fence on whether or not that could be almost a long-term idea. And it doesn't necessarily have to be Pedri in that situation, but it should be either Pedri or Lenya or somebody who does have the legs to help the young cut out those counterattacks. Well, it just depends what you want to get. Um, I think if you want to get more... Because, you know, you're playing a double pivot, that's normally to control the game a little bit better. Um, if you're playing against high-caliber opposition and uh, you don't really need to break the tin, meaning you're playing away from home or you've got a 2 nil advantage like Barca had today when, when Busquets came on, then playing either Pjanic or Busquets is a better solution because it gives you more balance and uh, also it is it makes you stronger from a defensive perspective. I think that for me, the key point about Pedri playing in that position is that he wasn't just sort of staying within let's say, horizontally parallel, if that makes sense, to Frankie. He was actually moving towards an interior position a lot of the time. And obviously his creativity, even though he's really young, I think that creativity doesn't really have a number. He's a very creative player that makes things happen, as you, as you have explained. And I think that if you're looking for more fluidity, more attacking sort of vision, then someone like Alanya would be better in possession in terms of con- conserving the ball and moving it around. But I think that Pedri gives you that edge moving forward, which, by the way, Frankie de Jong gives you as well. So they're two very similar players. Um, I think that if you're playing a Juventus or you're playing a Atletico Madrid or a Real Madrid or anything of the sort, then I don't think Kuman can possibly have a Frankie de Jong, Pedri a double pivot. I think one of the Busquets or Piani will come in uh, at this moment in time since like, Busquets has got the age, to be honest. But no, I think that 
going back to Pedri, just just focusing on him, I think that it is great that he's playing in every single position. It means that the manager is not afraid to make a 17, 18-year-old youngster play and to give him, you know, playing time to to build, to grow, to establish himself. And, um, you know, I think we need to start thinking about fatigue as well because he's played a huge amount of minutes this season. So, you know, it is great when you come in fresh, but when you have to be started day in, day out, and playing, you know, from Las Palmas to the Champions League in four months, that's, that's quite a contrast. So I think that we need to be patient with him. And I think that's why he came off at halftime today. Yeah, and that's why I would definitely rest him midweek against Ferran Varos. And it's a, a point, too, about the positions where when you talk about Barcelona, they're defending today against Osasuna in a 4-2-3-1. And then, as you mentioned, Pedri slotting in as, as an interior as they're going forward. And it wound up looking like a 4-3-3 quite often. And that brings up the other point of the whole idea that next to Brothwaite in a start, the first time this season that Griezmann and Brothwaite have started together, we're also talking about Messi and Coutinho as well as part of that front four. But with Brothwaite and Griezmann able to play off him, this was that first time, maybe the first time ever, that Messi, Griezmann, and Coutinho weren't getting in each other's way. And that was adding a number nine. And you, again, once again, credit to you, Frances, because you mentioned reference point is the is the point here, that Brothwaite is that reference point as a number nine. And we also noticed against Osasuna that by having a number nine, you really notice the gravitational pull of Messi. And that was allowing overloads on the left wing between Coutinho, Alba, De Jong, and Griezmann, where Coutinho and Griezmann, while their positions were quite fluid, Alba... And the way they were setting up as well was basically it was Dest and Alba offensively as wingbacks because Barca did control 72% of the possession against Osasuna. And having those overloads and allowing the ball to be switched to Messi and then vice versa where when Messi was out on that right side because of how dangerous he was in this match, maybe it was because a little bit of that the Maradona motivation had Messi clicking in the way that he was today. But his gravitational pull allowed those switches to the other side, and then Barca were able to overload with everyone else fading to the left wing, that being Coutinho and Griezmann and Alba and all the rest, the rest that I mentioned, and allowing Messi and Dest just to work their one-twos, particularly in that first half. And the spacing was just so healthy because Brothwaite had that extra man or two that had to be concerned with him because he is a body. And as you said, he scored three goals in the last two matches, so he is there. And moving forward... That's another question about what Komen is going to do in those big, important matches. And not to say the Champions League is no longer important, but the group is wrapped up. So two more matches there, including one against Juventus. But La Liga are the place where Barca need to get the points. It's time. They've, they've dropped points. It's time to win the points. Are you going to continue to start Martin Brothwaite to try to get the best out of Griezmann? Or are you going to take more chances there? I would. I would start him. I mean, the guy is scoring goals, which is basically what has been missing alarmingly for the last probably two months even. Um, but I have not been as bad as the classification, as the Liga table actually shows. Um, I know that we went up to seventh, but we were 11th before the Osasuna match, which is pretty embarrassing. It's, n- it's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. But yeah, it's, um, it is something that it will change. I think Barca should definitely make the top four. There were some questions before about will Barca make the top four? What will happen if they don't? I don't need to worry about that, guys. Barca is definitely going to make the top four. I think Barca will be challenging for a Liga um, when, you know, when the third part of the season comes. Atletico Madrid and Real Sociedad, they will drop points. Uh, Real Madrid, they're dropping points left, right and center as well. But when it matters, they will start winning the matches. Uh, you can be sure of that. So La Liga is certainly not lost. Um, 
I don't think we've got a team as good as what we've had in the past. But, you know, given given the situation, I think Barca could challenge until the end. That doesn't mean we will win it. But certainly, you know, we're not going to be challenging for seventh with Celta and all the others around that position, you know. It's not going to happen. So I really do think that um, Barca have got a chance to do something important this season. Um, but I think the most important thing that Barca can do this season is, is growing from within, enabling time for the La Masia youngsters to prove their worth and to grow and get better and improve and be challenged and, and make mistakes, but have some room for them and then continue to improve on a daily basis. And, and what about Griezmann? So his stats in this game, you said he was your man of the match. I'll explain why Messi was mine in a minute. But Griezmann, one goal, one assist, two big chances created, three shots on target, two key passes, 96% passing, and he won four of his seven duels in that match, and also helping out defensively and doing some of those other intangibles uh, in de- defensive transition. So I think you and I agree on the point, and it's hard to deny that this was easily Griezmann's best match of this season. Maybe not his best match in a Barca uniform, but his best match of the season. Other than Brothwaite being that point of reference, what do you think made Griezmann so good in this match? I think that the fact that he was motivated enough to make things happen, and as you've already mentioned today, the fact that Messi and Coutinho got out of his way, really. Um, Griezmann's runs have been pretty clever, I would say the last five matches sort of thing, um, because he doesn't just run diagonally like he used to be doing towards the middle, um, as in, you know, I want to be the attacking midfielder, but Kuma has placed me on a side, so I'm just going to drift towards the middles anyway. He was running towards the byline whenever needed. Um, he had two outlets, uh, obviously, the fact that Sergio Des is more offensive as Sergio Roberto really did help him uh, on the overlap particularly, but also the fact that, um, I know you said about the reference from, from Braithwaite, and I really do agree, but he's not a stagnant reference. You know, He doesn't stay in the middle like Luis Suarez has been doing the last couple of years, um, and I love the guy, but the last couple of years he wasn't as mobile. So what Braithwaite is given the last, and it's a little sample size, but the last couple of matches is that he's a reference that starts from the center and then runs to generate spaces. And I think that's what the key is, because then you enable Messi to, to, to find his way throughout. Um, same for Coutinho, the same for Griezmann. So I think that the association between Griezmann and those around him and the fact that he really understood what Braithwaite was doing, where Messi was going and how Sergio Dres was overlapping, that's what made Griezmann much more intelligent much more effective and obviously you know you could see it and i know it's just a shot but the way in which he you know destroyed that missile uh, in that goal like you take that shot a hundred times and you're likely going to score it once and the fact that this happened throughout a match which just followed up on the quite difficult conversation he had in front of the world's media not many days ago i think that speaks wonder of his confidence and his commitment to get better yeah, he was your man of the match. For me, I looked at, it wasn't just Messi's tribute to Maradona and all of that, or the goal, but Messi, four key passes in that one, eight accurate long balls out of nine attempts. So that is indicative, that's that indicative of the fact that Barca were switching the field very, very well in that match. Alba providing the width against what was kind of a low block. Again, Osasuna, their defense wasn't the best on the, on the afternoon. 88% passing from Messi, one of one accurate on his crosses, two big chances created, three successful dribbles, and one goal. I-, I thought Messi was up to this match in a way that we don't really have to talk about the walking or the issues or even the shots. And people are worried that he's not really getting shots on target and not putting himself in 
positions to succeed. But as we've kind of been talking about, it's all about space. And getting the best out of Coutinho and Griezmann is going to give Messi the space again. In the same way that Luis Suarez, for all his fallacies that we spoke about in his final two seasons when he was kind of plotting around up there, Messi was still getting those spaces as a reference point to Luis Suarez. But for Messi to find those spaces, he's going to have to get the best out of his teammates, as we keep saying over and over and over again. And that continues to be the, the, the issue where the minute Griezmann has a good game and you give him a thumbs up, you have to kind of give that sideways thumb to Coutinho because you wonder, well, you still didn't get really the best out of him as he came from the left side and then over to the middle. And that's one of those worries there. Now, you mentioned kind of quickly that if Barca don't finish in the top four, you expect them to. I think it still might be a worry with the injury crisis where two clean sheets in a row is positive and Mingueta has been good. But Araujo coming back and Mingueta, that's still a very young center back pairing. Again, we are doing this where by the time you hear it, we should know about Langley. So it might just be a week or two. But God forbid it's four to six weeks. Then you're having a different conversation there as well. And I think on the back of all of this, we have a question from Tarab Frances that uh, is directly point, pinpointed at you where Barcelona have found a way to, and that being that, that commission, they found a way led by Carlos Tusquets to get the salaries down, saving 122 million euros. So at the moment, staving off bankruptcy. Now that could still rear its ugly head in the future, but it seems like at least through the 2020 fiscal year, that bankruptcy will not happen. And now it will basically be pushing that the management commission have done enough and it pushes the onus now of staving off bankruptcy to the next president, whether that is Font or Laporta. And no offense to everyone else, but I think I'm going to stop mentioning the other candidates and just say Font or Laporta going on. Again, we will continue to talk about the elections in Font and Laporta. We're not going to get into the those details yet. But the question for you, Frances, why are the elections being held in January instead of late November? Well, that would be already now one day. Or why are they not happening in December? And I think it had to do, obviously, with the contract and the wage things. But could it be more than that as well? I'm not too sure, to be honest. Um, I think that the most important thing for the club is for the elections to happen as soon as possible. Um, I don't quite know the reason. I don't think anyone does. Why the election, apart from Carlos Tusquets, obviously, why the elections have been you know, pushed back, um, in my eyes, unnecessarily. I know there were some conversations with the Catalan government as to the viability of having people coming over for voting, especially during coronavirus and the pandemic. But all the information that I get from Catalonia Radio and my different inputs around Catalonia is that the government was ready for, for things to go ahead uh, for the vote of no confidence. Uh, obviously, we didn't have to go that far because Bartomeu walked out and, and, you know, correctly so beforehand. So I don't really see what the holdup is. Um, there must be some issue to do with money that we're not really seeing here. Uh, it looks like the players have agreed to reduce their, their salaries, which is good news, especially, you know, given the situation that we are facing, not just from a health and safety sort of situation, but obviously economical for the club and the survival of the club. And uh, yeah, no, so in short, I'm not sure why it has been pushed back, but I really don't understand the reason why it would be. Yeah, the only other one that I would to think to be true and would consider would be with COVID cases going up everywhere, especially and including Spain, uh, really going around globally, going up and spiking as we head into the winter, making sure that people can vote safely is the most important thing. And what that does bring up, and I think the next president is going to have to address this, is in cases, obviously you don't prepare for a pandemic in your bylaws, but in the case that voting should be done electronically, 
I think they're really going to have to take a hard, hard, hard look at that again. And I, I completely understand the the notion that expecting socios to get to Barcelona to once a year to re-up and be socios, and it takes that kind of commitment to the club or to be local and to keep that a, a Catalan club and not make it where everybody can become a socio and become involved and vote in that way just in case they have a little bit of money. So I, I would say that for the club, understanding that this is the way things are going to be to make every sure everybody's safe, have them in January and get somebody in. And yes, that means they can't really spend anything in the January window, but the club couldn't spend anything anyway. So I don't think in the same way, I think that any president that winds up being the favorite, whether it's font, whether it's supported, they're already having discussions or conversations with the club as well to, I, I, to get a, a sense of where the club is going to be moving forward. And it certainly won't be in January. It will be in the summer. So I think safety is the number one reason why but this, that means that this club needs to take a hard look at the way it does its elections moving forward. It maybe doesn't have to change, again, in terms of being in person to be a socio, but there should be an option moving forward electronically. I mean, that's, I can't see why that wouldn't be something that they have to take a hard look at in 2020. I agree. I agree. And I know we don't want to go into the election too much today, but Dan, what a terrible mess. Whoever gets, the, gets elected and gets the, the <laughs> I was going to say the luxury I don't think it is at this moment in time, but say the luxury of becoming the next Barca president, there's so much to clean up. And the thing is, we haven't even lifted the carpet just yet. But if you just think about everything that you just said there in a sentence, you've got the, the salaries, you've got the inability to effectively sign anybody, you've got the restructuring of the salary structure in terms of um, the, the first team players. Um, we haven't mentioned in this podcast for a long time, but the different sections of the club, the football, the football femini, for example, uh, which is the, the women's football, the Barca B, they're obviously coming under the football umbrella. But what about hockey? What about handball? What about the basketball, which, you know, basketball is a huge investment for the club. And, um, you know, the team is doing fairly OK, but there's a lot of money being spent in wages there as well. Yeah. And on the point of the basketball, Marc Gasol, I don't know how close he truly was to coming to FC Barcelona. Instead, he goes to L.A. where Paul Gasol lives, his brother, his very good close friend and brother. He goes to L.A. to join the Lakers to go for some rings. I'm wondering if FC Barcelona had the funds to have attracted him to come back to Spain where the rest of his family is, if he would have. And so that's one of those what if sliding door kind of things where what if Marcus all winds up being able to you know he know we know he wants to come but now you're talking about potentially two years later that he might return to FC Barcelona he might even decide to retire in the interim so that's just one of those again what if moments and I know we say he it would be a luxury to have Marcus all return to the basketball team because the first team is the priority obviously and they're the the ones that make up 70 percent of the revenue but they're also the being the first team 75 to 80 percent of basically total expenses in terms of the wage bill, which is, I think it's 71%, which is astronomical compared to every other first team in world football. Barca are just so much higher. So as you mentioned, Francis, restructuring those, continuing to restructure those contracts, because to what I understand from it, it's basically putting that off. And I, I think we don't know exactly what the contracts are and some of what those restructurings are, but by putting that money and saying, okay, you'll take your salary reduction now, it's making promises for later. So this is merely continuing to push off some of these issues to the future. And we'll have to see what happens there. So, Frances, before we leave, again, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter show. But before we leave, with Ferran Varos midweek, who are you going to go with your starting lineup in that match? Because some of those questions are, with players playing well like Griezmann, 
and Brothway, do you continue to throw them out for their confidence or, well, Griezmann more in particular? Or are you going to completely switch things up as we do expect to see the likes of Pooj, maybe Conrad De La Fuente again? But are you going to expect almost a full overhaul or do you think he goes with a confidence building team again in Griezmann and maybe even Coutinho? Okay, so it is pretty difficult to see what Guman will do. Um, I know what I would do, and I would just basically overhaul as much as I can so that I give non-regulars as much playing time as possible, um, obviously bearing in mind that Barca have already qualified for the next round. So um, I would start probably Neto, to be honest. I don't think that's going to happen. It's probably going to be Ter Stegen. But I would start one of the two goalies. Then I think Mingueza plays. Obviously, he's been doing really well, and he needs to build up his playing time and confidence. Um, so he starts at centre-back. Um, if Araujo is back, for me, he starts alongside them. Uh, obviously, Lengle, I know, we've already mentioned this, but Lengle, Pique and Umtiti are nowhere to be seen, especially for the next the next match. So if Araujo is fit, then he starts there. If he's not, um, to be honest, I'm not sure what I would do. Probably put Frankie de Jong in the centre-back position, which I don't really want to do, because I think Frankie deserves and needs uh, rest in time, especially when... There's not much at stake. Right back, Serginho Dest once again, um, obviously, but that's depending on how fit he is. Um, he played against Osasuna and he didn't seem to feel um, any discomfort in his in his body. So um, I would just start him again. Junior Firpo, left back. I think it's pretty clear that Alba needs rest and Junior needs time to grow. So I think that makes perfect sense. If he's going to go for a double pivot, then I think Pjanic needs to play because he didn't against Osasuna. And I would give Ricky Puch the start. Um, to be honest, I wouldn't probably put Ricky Puch as a double pivot. I would put it further forward. But I don't think that Kuman would do that. So if I'm doing an in-between of me and Kuman, then Ricky starts in the double pivot. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can prove himself moving forward. Dembele, for me, needs to play from the start. Um, I think that, you know, you're playing a game in Europe. You may as well have some of your best players out there. And I think Dembele has a point to prove especially against at the European level and especially from the beginning of a match and especially being the key protagonist. So in my eyes, Dembele starts. Trincao for me, starts at the right wing. Uh, he's had several sub appearances lately. So I think it's about time he starts the game. And then I would rest Messi. I would probably just leave Messi at home, to be honest, not even call him up for the game. So as a number 10, I would have Coutinho as an attacking midfielder just to see how he performs there. Um, if you remember before the injury that he suffered recently, he was playing there and he was actually doing really well. And I'm intrigued to see what he would do as an attacking midfielder. And then as a striking reference, you know, the guy is on racha, which means as he's scoring goals for fun. So Braithwaite for me is the number nine that should start the next game and hopefully continue to score. Yeah, I really like the fact that we can have disagreements on our starting 11 or even our starting 11 has a bunch of different players in it. Because that tells me that Coleman is rotating. For all the arguments about how he's being stubborn with his tactics, it is showing that he's extending his bench. And the kind of argument to that is that he also is being forced to because of injuries and the like. But I, I have a similar but a little bit different. And you mentioned in that back line that Araujo is the key. Here, I would actually, over De Jong, I would wind up giving De Jong the rest, uh, even as we spoke about. He did rest last midweek against Dinamo Kiev, but he had played three matches for the Netherlands in that international break so I would give De Jong still the rest no matter what and if Araujo isn't fit I would actually start Junior as the other center back and then that kind of forces Alba to play and maybe the worry would be Alba and if you have to decide who would you want to sit Alba or De Jong 
Maybe you do have a point there, Frances. And then Dest, as we said, if he's fit, he'll have to start on the other side. Now, if Dest isn't fit because he did come off, he did look like he was laboring a bit. I agree with that against Osasuna. Defensively, he was fine, but offensively, you know, he would pick his spots. It still wasn't a bad performance, because again, I'll continue to say about Dest, his floor from game to game, it's just unbelievable. He had some real stinkers for Ajax, and we have not seen him have a really, really bad game yet, knock on wood, for Barcelona yet. So for me, I, I guess if Araujo isn't fit, it winds up being Alba Jr. Mingueza Dest for me, but I would prefer to see Araujo obviously fit. So it would be Jr. Araujo Mingueza and then Dest. And then the double pivot for me is Pjanic and Alenia. As I mentioned, Alenia was the best player midweek, uh, I think, as far as advanced metrics went against Dinamo Kiev. And then Pjanic, he might be out for some other reason, but if fit, Pjanic should start uh, in midweek against Ferran Varos. And then up top, it's difficult here because I would love to see Dembele on the right wing. That's where he's at his best. And I think Trincao is continuing to assimilate himself into playing at FC Barcelona and his roles to play off the bench. So I actually wouldn't change that. I would start Dembele on the right wing. And then I would start, as you mentioned, Puj in the middle. So that means Coutinho remains on the bench. But I'm not worried about Coutinho. He's going to get his time in the Liga. But I would like to see Puj continue to get a run out. So give him that attacking midfield spot. And then on the left, again, I've got one eye on Barca B. So maybe I'm getting a little biased at the moment. But Conrad De La Fuente looks too good at the moment for the third division. He doesn't have a goal today, but his one-on-one ability has just improved to the point where I would start him against Ferran Varos. He is Champions League against a Hungarian team level at the moment. So I actually would give Conor De La Fuente his first start and leave Coutinho on the bench, leave Trincao on the bench. Either Trincao can come on at halftime for for Conrad De La Fuente if he seems to be overdone by the moment. And as you mentioned, I agree. Keep that frame of reference in Brothwaite up top. There'll be questions about if Brothwaite not even if, but when he gets cold again and stops scoring goals against teams that are the likes of Dinamo Kiev and Osasuna. So we'll have to see if he can continue his form against Ferran Varos, a third team that on paper Barcelona should beat. So I think you and I and everyone kind of agrees, Komen has even said it, that expect rotations against Ferran Varos. And we agree that this is a moment where we would like to see Ricky Puz, we'd like to see the likes of Carlos Alenia and give those bench players time. Because as we're seeing, Injuries mean that you don't know who you're going to have to trust. And at the beginning of the year, of all those Barca B players that I always talk about, whether it's Alejandro Balde or even Nico or Honor Comas, who I've mentioned as a center back that I thought has been most impressive so far, Oscar Mangueza then comes out of left field because who could have expected, and I guess we could have expected it, but <laughs> Langley and Pique and Umtiti and Araujo, you wind up having injuries to all your first teamers, and now Mangueza is playing a role that I would have never expected him to play. These are the things that happen over the course of a long season, and against Ferran Varos is the moment that you get those guys comfortable for those moments in the spring when matches are even more important that they're going to have to show up. Yeah, Dan, I totally agree. I've got nothing much to add. Uh, we talked about Messi in passing earlier, so I'm just going to say just literally three sentences. The fact that Messi is present, but not omnipresent, is really, really important. And he's making Barca better every single day. Um, I think that he is a protagonist and he's always going to be because of the way he attracts the game and obviously what he means for, for Barca as a club when on the pitch and obviously off it. But the fact that he's not the only character in Barca's story anymore is, is, is a positive. I think that less of Messi, especially in this transition year, is more for the team in the short, but certainly the long term as well. And I think that Messi not being everything that Barca does is giving us the, the chance, the ability to even disagree in starting 11s. Because otherwise, you know, before it didn't really matter. 
Because as long as you got Messi in the middle, you know that all the play, all the good that Barca does is going to go through him. Obviously, he's a key player and he's always going to be. But I think that less of Messi, especially this season, especially lately, is more. Granted, I do expect him to continue to grow and to you know get back to the player that he was in terms of not not the football, not the touch, not the magic, but the commitment and the attitude towards winning that he once was. I think that he's not there just yet, but I think that today's um, today's performance and obviously possibly spurred on by the fact that he had to score that goal to do the dedicación, to do the homage to Diego Maradona. I think that that's that's the level we want. That's the level we need. Someone who's motivated, always eager to get better and getting back to, to Barca, not just you know having a bit of his head away in Manchester City, England, whatever, but actually focus on the job in hand. And uh, I think today was very telling and I was I was very happy to see that. Yep. Yeah. For for final context, Newell's old boys, it was a club that Diego Maradona had played for after he had left Argentina, come to Barcelona, then Napoli. He winds up playing Newell's old boys a- after that fact. And at the time, a six-year-old Lino Messi wound up coming on one of those matches at halftime to do some juggles for the crowd. So it does tell you full circle that Maradona has been in Messi's life for a long, long time. And as we were kind of saying that for Messi, you don't see much from him. And when you think back to those images and those moments where he's holding up the the number 10 at the Bernabeu on that that comeback with that goal late on a few years ago, there were those, those magic celebrations, those magic moments you remember. So when Messi does something like this, it's one of those things that kind of sticks in your mind, and it's one of those things that you will remember for a long, long time. So it was uh, a wonderful dedication, uh, a wonderful way, I think, even to end the show. So I want to thank everyone for listening. You can tap in your app. You can check out your show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. You know where we're at. On Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at Hilton D13. For me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group. Deeper dive discussions and all that. Patreon to help make these shows tbpod.link backslash patreon and youtube where we have the match reviews and some of that other all some of those other special goodies as well the barcelona podcast check us out there hit that subscription button and thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon force the barca forza